0: now on 102.9 ESPN
1: Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We're coming to you from Studio 49, The Business Angle with Justin Angle here at the University of Montana
2: Business School. School School's back in session, man. Kind of hard to find a parking spot. Yeah, I know. First day of class, although, um, yeah, I'm not teaching this semester. Sabbatical continues. But, uh, yeah, cool to see, you know, Unless you're fighting for a parking space. <laughs> That's but right. Cool to see the energy back on campus and students populating the buildings and yeah, just cool energy today.
1: Well, uh, good to see you. Thanks for being here. The business angle is the overlay between business and sports. We're going to touch on a lot of pretty common subjects. That seems to be the theme here as we continue to hash some of these things out. I've been talking both during this segment and in uh, on Nuana's Now in general about this Tiger Woods book that I've been reading. I finished it last night. I think though that the sort of the corporation that is Tiger Woods is so applicable to what we always talk about here. And this book was just such a stark reminder because they go into so many details of the ebbs and flows of his life. And when you get done with this thing, though, then you realize just how big of a monster that the Tiger Woods Corporation basically was. How profound the scandal was just in terms of a pure money and business standpoint. I mean, this guy was making $110 million a year Mm -hmm. in endorsements. And then on a Thanksgiving when the lights get bashed out of the back of his car and he hits a tree and all this different stuff. And it was this crazy fallout. But then he came all the way back from that. I know he's not making $110 million anymore, but he's certainly still one of the most endorsed athletes in the world. At, sure. at A late 40s guy who does not regularly win in his sport anymore. And it's just amazing. So it got me thinking about first sort of that fall from grace and the resurrection of Tiger Woods from a marketing and, and endorsement standpoint but then also how a lot of times the most profound and the most uh, popular athletes in our society they rise to these great heights and the heights are so great that it's almost inevitable that something is going to make them fall Yeah, but when they do fall sometimes especially if they do it with uh, accountability or with grace or with uh, self-awareness they actually come back as a stronger marketing. Uh, They become more popular, which then makes them better for marketing. It's just fascinating. Like, Tiger, in certain ways, after all of the scandal, and it was as salacious as it could possibly get,
2: he actually was more humanized and more sort of relatable after all was said and done. Yeah, it's sometimes tempting, I think, to sort of, you know, fit the data to the theory a a little bit because there's... Tiger Woods is a bit of a of a unique character there's other people that have kind of portrayed this this narrative arc that you're you're describing I think with Tiger a couple things one you know there is that machine that's been built up around him he was And he
1: was almost himself almost like a machine right Exactly
2: and, and so think of all the people and money and professions and investments at stake if the Tiger Woods Enterprise unravels, right? So there's sort of an inertia effect to to sort of protect right. Tiger to some degree, and then whether it was spin or PR or whatever, like portraying his personal failures as a form of addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was addiction, right?
1: I mean, they- for sure. Well, I think I think in that book they talk extensively. This is the first time I had ever read about the part where he went to inpatient rehab for four months. Yeah, and diagnosed all of the things of the way he was made into this machine. And I think he actually had a realization like, oh my gosh, I am a champion because my parents made me this way, but I also have no friends. Yeah <laughs> Like I'm not relatable to anybody.
2: Right. And so that sort of, I think people uh, maybe were able to look past the sort of sexual indiscretions, sure. and, and chalk that up to some sort of disorder right and also like you know we're not all perfect right so we can I don't know if we can necessarily identify with that extensive amount of personal failure but but Tiger um, there's a relatability there that you mentioned in the opening and the other thing too is that tiger as an athlete still had a lot left in the tank right right. and so we talk about this with like nfl players that get in trouble like if they could still catch the ball or block or run or throw or do the thing that they need to get paid to do they're going to get a job right and all of the reconstruction of the image you have to do around that like i look at deshaun watson and and you know every athlete that's still got stuff in the tank that is monetizable often will get a job
1: is now ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television and the ESPN MT app, a business angle, the business angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. The Tiger story, too, had every single possible factor, right? You have nature versus nurture and the way he was raised. Infidelity, drugs, uh, injuries, pain. So he he was relatable to other humans in
2: some way. Sure, sure, and he didn't look the part of golfers. As I mean, not we talked totally. about this last time. Like he played the game totally differently. Yeah, uh, he didn't look the same. Right. His race, family, like a whole thing ha- had a a uniqueness that um, added power to it. It's
1: funny because we I think sometimes we we think of America and American society as being so vicious and chew you up and spit you out, but in reality, Americans, particularly the like American culture and pop culture is rather forgiving if you are willing to bear your sins and apologize, right? Whether it's Kobe Bryant and his whole fiasco in Colorado and then coming out on the other side of that, or, I mean, Ray Lewis and the situation he got in at the Super Bowl. You know, it's it's crazy how there's at least a certain sector that will forgive you, like you're saying, one, if you can still play, but two, also, though, if you sort of take it on the chin. Like, look at the difference between Mark McGuire, who's now still involved in Major League sure. Baseball and widely pretty beloved – and Barry Bonds, everybody hates him because Barry Bonds has never one time said, "Oh yeah, Game of Shadows is true."
2: Yeah, you know, I I I think I'll take a little bit more cynical view. I mean, it, I I don't think Kobe Bryant, for example, really um, had a full mea culpa, right? True, I mean, he true, had true. a big press conference, so there are you know the examples of half apologies, and at the end of the day, I don't know if it's like. People just don't care if their heroes can continue to be heroes and score baskets or touchdowns or whatever. You know, Barry Bonds was a a jerk all the way right up into the end and was still sort of performing at the highest level as he was being a jerk, and he's continued to be a jerk. So there was no, like, kind of... There was no dip in that narrative, right? There was no epic struggle That's that, right, that right, he right. had to go through. You know, he just basically cheated. There's no right? arc to the story, right? There's no Shakespearean rise no, and fall and resurrection. No Man falls in a whole story, right? Like life <laughs> right. is good, then it's not, then it's better. That's right. It's kind of the classic narrative totally. arc that we are attuned to uh, to understand. Last point on this. Who is the greatest
1: athlete in the world right now? Oh, gosh. Uh, th- that's the reaction I wanted, yeah. is that there's not a definitive answer. And I thought to myself, after finishing this Tiger Woods book, because I've been battling with why I was so obsessed with Tiger Woods, part sure. of its place and time, how old I am, the th- you know, watching ma- the Masters in the U.S. Open on Sunday with my dad, like yeah. all those nostalgic memories. But more than anything, regardless of how Tiger Woods ever acted or anything that ever happened in his personal life, there was a probably... Eight to 10 year span where the answer to that question was Tiger Woods. Yeah. yeah. And we have not, I don't know if we've ever seen that before. Maybe, maybe you know Jim Thorpe or Jesse Owens. No, by- I think you could say that with Jordan. I think sure, you could
2: probably sure. say it with Muhammad Ali. Uh, sure, right. But it's a it's a very
1: select oh, group, right? Yeah. And I think that's why I think we we give forever
2: passes because we all want to share in this one uh, moment of greatness. And you know, we, we we have to admit that we are very uh, United States centric. I mean, the best athlete in the world could be Kylian Mbappe. You know, like, totally, right? Like right. To right, see totally. what he was able to do in a short period of time in the World Cup final was unbelievable. Totally,
1: or some sort of uh, distance, you know, ultra-distance rudder or something, sure. scaling Everest. It is true. We are sort of U.S. centric. No doubt about it. The Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. For a small business, let Blackfoot Communications help you connect to more. They can build you a business network. Uh, also help you just develop your small business with their Connect to More program. Visit goblackfoot.com to learn more. The FCS National Championship game on uh, a Sunday. And uh, it, it, it was a sort of non-competitive game with South Dakota State running away with it. But, I don't know, it was sort of an interesting deal with uh, choosing to, a network. But also on a different atypical college yeah. football day. I mean, I, I guess the question here, not necessarily, is about. It's not about South Coast State, North Coast State, or the FCS. It's more about does the allure of landing on network TV have the same cachet as it used to?
2: Yeah, I, my instinct is to think not so. I mean, cable is so ubiquitous, um, streaming is so ubiquitous, watching on apps and other devices is so ubiquitous now. Um, but there is a novelty effect that the FCS championship game particularly you know north north and south dakota that kind of brings a novelty aspect that might attract viewers from you know major metropolitan markets who happen to stumble across the abc feed on their way to an nfl game or not it's sort of like how nbc used to put some you know show that they wanted to get attention for between seinfeld and friends Right? So it might be similar strategy and it's it's hard to know if it was successful or not. I mean, the rating being kind of middling is an indication that you know it wasn't uh, a total failure. but uh, I, I don't think we see evidence that it was a successful strategy yet.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see how the FCS national championship game continues to evolve because the the uh, the place in Frisco, there's I think three years left on that contract. Frisco's done a good job of hosting the game. They've also had good draws. But part of that's because they've had this perennial team yeah. in North Dakota State there for 10 years in a row. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to dog on anybody or anything, but, like, there's certain places in the country where going to Frisco, Texas is not some sort of crazy destination vacation every year. But if you're going to get out of Fargo in January, that sounds yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go it's anywhere. That's right. So so I think that they've had a huge draw uh, just because of their success, but also because it's sort of this uh, this affordable and uh, easy-to-plan thing. You know when it's going to be. I mean, we've seen people down there that are just staying at the same hotels year in and year out because they just know North Dakota State's going back. So we'll see how it continues to evolve. You wonder what the FCS National Championship game would look like, both in in-person attendance and on TV, yeah. if there wasn't that sort of uh, brand name, you know, standard team that's been there for ten years. I,
2: I think that helps, particularly for the unfamiliar viewer, right? I mean, they sort of start to develop this association, uh, you know, of that of that institution with that championship game. So if they just tune in for the last couple games of the season or even the championship game, there's a familiarity there, yeah, and. And that familiarity. I mean, we've talked about it before, like the mirror exposure of effect. You just see see a team over and over again. You see those colors over and over again. They start to come, become your team. You're just familiar with them. It's like the Atlanta Braves effect from right, the 90s, right, totally. The TBS effect. So, you know, I think there is some truth to that. And not to mention that, you know, the 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 community that supports. Uh, North Dakota State his you know, they've grown accustomed to that level of success. Totally. So it is like a normed thing. Okay, let's make our reservations for Frisco. We're going again. And, you know, we'll see how long that can
1: last. It's interesting, too, because I think that, you know, we live in an FCS market. We're sitting here at the University of Montana Business School right now. That's an FCS school in terms of football. And you hear from Grizz fans all the time, well, you know, FCS, nobody, it's, it's overlooked. Nobody gives us the credit we deserve. But then, the Grizzlies are playing Ferris State next year in football. And everybody's like, well, why are we playing this down game against the D2? Well, Ferris State played for National Championship in Division two, I think, yeah. three out of the last four years. So nobody pays attention to that uh, because Ferris State is not, you know, they're sort of new to the scene in the D2 level. So it is sort of interesting how there's been these these dynasties across college football uh, from the FBS with Alabama and now Georgia, and, uh, Alabama and Clemson, now Georgia, and then at the FCS, NDSU, and then we can go all the way down the docket. So it is sort of interesting that uh, Parody is more prevalent in sports uh, than ever before, but at the top of the top in college sports, it's definitely not. I think there's a, a relationship uh, to money there as well. A business angle with Justin Engel uh, here on Nuwana's Now ESPN Radio. Uh, one of our friends at Blackfoot, I uh, I gave her some some tickets to the uh, men's basketball game last week. Uh, thursday against weber state is a thrilling game uh not actually a very well played game but it came down to the final seconds and weber state had this crazy steal at the end and a three-pointer mm-hmm. to win uh, to beat the grizz uh, at the buzzer and uh but her she she texted me the next day and said thanks so much for the tickets very exciting ending what's up with all the media timeouts it's been mm-hmm. a little while since yeah. she'd been to a game and i was like well this is, you know, I'm numb to it because I go to two or three games every single week, and I only make it to probably four or five high school games a year, so I, I don't really get to see the yeah. the contrast. But uh, then when you really think about it, there really is a lot of stoppages, and this is sort of the the give and take of having everything on TV, and it's a, just sort of the entry point to a bigger conversation. Being on TV all the time, being able to stream on ESPN Plus, great for your broad exposure. I don't know how much it helps your in-game viewing experience for people that go to the games i don't know how it helps your attendance either
2: yeah you know i was at the game saturday night against idaho state and noticed those media timeouts and you know we were seated in a place where like you could you could hear the referee refer to it as a media timeout so you could actually tell how many of them were timeout you know for for marketing purposes versus just stoppages that the coaches induced or the referees induced anyway I, i think it's you know, I do not like the ad driven content model. We've talked about that and we both like butter our bread with that model, but right. I think it it, it, it forces um, any kind of business model choice implies that you're going to prioritize certain customers over another. Right. And so in the case of putting as much content onto television as you can or onto streaming platforms as you can, you introduce this conflict between the in-game experience or the live experience and the viewing experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, stuffing more ads into a broadcast does not enhance the viewing experience, no. but it is less detrimental to that customer segment than it is to the in-person customer segment. Sure. And we see, like, as we've seen in live music, like the, the where the money is made gets shifted from recording and selling albums to touring. And, and you know, these ha- the margins associated with each type of um, sale are different and they shift over time, and I think now we're seeing this: this, this the streaming, the TV is, is the dominant force.
1: At what point? This is just a broad marketing question. At what yeah. point does it all just blur together?
2: Well, what do you mean by blur together? Because right, right now we're talking about distinctly, like yeah, products, no, I, mean, I, I I guess, I guess,
1: just like the 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 branding and advertising of everything. Yeah, like right now there's a big controversy in the NBA because they're they've they've gone from just jerseys sure. to the little logos yeah. and then all of a sudden they might sell the front of the jersey at, at what point does the human mind
2: shut off actually what they're even seeing yeah i don't know that the answer to that question i don't think science really knows if that mm-hmm. gets shut off mm-hmm. i mean sometimes mm-hmm. those things will will make an impression below our level of awareness but what what yeah, i that's think a good point. what i think the pragmatic answer is is look at the experience many of us had watching the world cup Right. It's a running clock. Right. With no advertisements. And, you know, it, th- th- you're bombarded with advertisements, simple advertisements sure. throughout the whole stadium.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And, and I think as a viewer, like that was a way better experience. And, you know, what do you actually learn new in the average television commercial that you can't learn from from a, you know a, a small exposure on a screen. I mean, some ads are effective, but it's really hard to make an ad on television that is so effective that you actually learn something other than brand awareness. Right. So right. I think I think those two can be integrated. Um, you know, it has to be done well, and it's a gamble. If the you know if if, if you're going to be able to monetize it in the same way, get the same amount of marketing spend from the, you know the big brands, then you would. Um, Given a mad time,
1: it, it's so fascinating. I think this is going to be a moving target forever. I I often just wonder, and this is another common theme here on the business angle with Justin angle here uh, from Studio Forty Nine here at the University of Montana Business School. The University of Montana Athletic Department makes such a huge part portion of their revenue from ticket sales that has been uh, an advantage, and it's turning into a disadvantage for them. Yeah, because uh, you know, I mean. When Northern Arizona hosted Montana and Montana State men's basketball two weeks ago, less than 700 total people went to those yeah, two games. Yeah. Yet Northern Arizona just built a $47 million athletic facility because they have 30,000 students and they're charging student athletic fees and they're making revenue... Not through ticket sales. Sure, them ho- selling three hundred and forty tickets to the Grizz game doesn't hurt them. Like last night, you were at the Lady Grizz game. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a thousand more than a thousand people there. Yeah. which is a huge women's basketball card in the Big Sky for every other school in the league besides Montana and Montana State. Mm-hmm. But it's a that's a that's a, a tough situation for the Grizz. They're losing money and not losing money, but they're not making the money they need to make in that situation. And so, it, yeah, I just I I don't know where this is going to turn because I don't think that, uh, you know, for the For the 500 people in the world that might watch the Sacramento State women's basketball team stream, getting to those 500 people, no matter where they are on earth, is an objective win for Sac State. Having less people go to Lady Grizz games because they can watch it on TV, I, I, I don't know. It's this uh, strange balancing act. I don't know, uh, particularly from the Montana School's perspective, I don't know where, where you go from here.
2: Yeah, I don't know what that crossover is, like the, the number of people who would have gone to the game but for it was available on streaming. Uh, my instinct is that those are a little bit different different customer segments. Um, I think the student athletic fee is kind of a, a big part of this. Sure, you know, if you particularly if you have a large student body, like right. you mentioned, Northern Arizona, right? You, those athletic departments can basically, you know, skim that fee. Uh, it's it's e- it's easy to be sympathetic when a student says, "Hey, I've got nothing to do with athletics. Right. I have no interest in them. I don't know why I'm paying this student athletic sure. fee." It's easy to be sympathetic with that student. Totally. Yet it is a fixed form of revenue for the athletic department that they are loath to give away. And that means they essentially, I mean, granted, the work that the athletic department does to promote itself has spillover effects. It it generally attracts more students to the institution. So there is generic, broad marketing value of having an athletic department, as we've talked about. Totally. But it's a source of revenue that, they don't really have to hustle for as much as they do to fill stadiums. And I think that's a bad look. Like, you know, you look at some of these photos on Instagram or, you know, when it's a television feed, they kind of can conceal it. But students playing at empty, sta- or you know, kids playing at empty stadiums, that can't be a fun experience uh, for anybody. I mean, last Thursday, Weber State
1: has the most beautiful basketball arena in the Big Sky Conference with the exception of the Montana schools. Yeah. I would say Weber. It's Dalberg Arena and, and uh, the the D Event Center at, at, in Ogden. It's a it's a twelve thousand five hundred seat stadium yeah. because Weber State's men have perennially been very good and they mm-hmm. draw six seven eight nine thousand fans a game. The women, Weber State women's team has had massive struggles. They are perennially very much towards the bottom of the league. The pictures of and the 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 stream from Ogden last Thursday when the Lady Grizz were playing there, yeah. were were awful. It looked like pandemic. There was uh, nobody there. Yeah, you could have counted the people in the stands on two hands. I mean, it was it was awful. I felt so bad for for those gals. Uh, but I digress. I, I I do think that that's not a good student athlete experience. But I also think it's a it's a crossroads that I think the Montana schools are going to have to deal with, but I also think it skews the perception of the fans as well, because you see, it's so easy to see the advantages that, let's just take the University of Montana has, this mm-hmm. awesome football stadium that's on par with anybody in the West, Yep, that sells out every single Saturday, and you think, wow... We draw 26,500 fans every single week. Weber State, who's in the playoffs as often or more than Montana lately, is drawing 4,000 fans. How are we not just killing them at everything? That's what the Grizz fans can think but then I think there's a misperception of all of the different ways you can make revenue. I don't know. I think it's a crossroads because Montana used to be out in front of the pack in front of everybody because of their distinct support advantages. That advantage has dissipated quite a bit because of these other forms of revenue that athletic departments can produce.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's not just the stadium. And in fact, you know, yes, we have this giant, money-making, beautiful, experienced stadium, but that creates um, a very... Um, uh, sort of non-diverse set of revenue streams right. for the athletic department. So that, cr- yep. it, you know, as as wonderful an asset as that is, like Ken Haslam says this, like, it's also a risk because totally. you got to fill it to fill your budget. Now- 100%. It, it, I mean, that's the thing is like when, when people were,
1: there was so much debate over when Bob Stitt was not renewed as the head coach at Montana.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, missing the playoffs two times in three years was part of it, performance-based. But when they started drawing thousands of less fans, when yeah. they drew nineteen thousand fans for a November game against Northern Arizona, that's the first time I was like, "Oh man, this might be he might be in trouble because it's direct loss revenue for the school."
2: Absolutely, and, and in in the case of, of Montana, like that's it's it's sort of a an easy thing to judge, like if the stadium's doing well, the budget's going to be doing well. But but schools like Weaver State that probably have a more diverse set of revenue streams, um, you know, it's a little harder to judge the connection between any one of those streams and success on the field and, you know, what those implications are for the budget. I mean, how much state funding do they get? What are their, What is their tuition split? What is their um, student athletic fee? How much, what's their pay scale? What can they pay the coaches? And all those sorts of things uh, that we don't have a lot of line of sight to, um, as we do in Montana. It's a much simpler picture. No, is now ESPN Radio
1: swx montana television and the espn mt app recording here on a tuesday from studio 49 every other tuesday the business angle presented by blackfoot communications justin engel university of montana business professor joins us to talk about the overlay between business and sports okay one last thing you got it. and we're going to get to uh, this more later on in the week because your favorite resident tom brady hater carolyn the chicken doesn't know sports will be with us and uh She knows so little about sports that she texted me this morning at 9 a.m. to let me know that Tom Brady and the Bucks lost last night. Has no idea that, you know, everybody in America was watching this game, except her, I guess. Regardless, though, I find this interesting just from a coverage and exposure standpoint from the NFL. And this is why the NFL is in, like, a no-lose situation. Last night's Monday Night Football game was perfect for the NFL because you have the Dallas Cowboys, the most loved and hated team in the NFL— versus Tom Brady, the GOAT, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Either way, no matter what the result is, you have endless fodder here because you're either going to be able to talk about Dallas not being able to get it done or Tom Brady isn't going to retire or oh, yeah. not. It's a, What do you think is better, though, for the league? Is it better for Tom Brady to make another run as a mid-40s guy or to be out and have now these simultaneous playoff storylines and Tom Brady not in the playoffs anymore? I mean,
2: it's we know the value to the NFL of a of a... Tom Brady Super Bowl run, totally. so I would bet on that. Yeah, you know it's it's tempting to think that the value of a Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl run to the NFL is giant. I would assume it is, but the, the Cowboys haven't been essentially good in a, in a very long time. Forever, yeah. Um, so I would bet on you know the NFL kind of wanted the overall benefit to the league had Tom Brady made a deep run into the playoffs. I think would have been more.
1: It's going to be so fascinating this offseason because not only is there going to be now this omnipresent narrative of Tom Brady, what does he do next, Yeah, but Derek Carr has already lit, written his goodbye letter to the Las Vegas Raiders. Tom Brady is newly single. He's going to be gone. Sure. <laughs> all, all I kept thinking was... This is me just completely digressing into what I'm consuming in terms of literature. All I kept thinking was, man, in the darkest of dark worlds, Tom Brady just goes to, moves to Vegas and just runs it back. Tiger Woods 2.0. Oh, just, this is horrible to actually think about. But regardless, uh, the speculation is going to be rampant. And this is why the NFL always wins. One of the biggest stars in the history of the league is out of the playoffs. Yet he's gonna be able to be a part of the NFL conversation throughout until the end of the Super Bowl.
2: Yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm not convinced that Tom Brady, will he won't he narrative has the same shelf life hmm. as, as other athletes. We we've we've grown accustomed to it. Right. Um it you know, he's he he's He was not good on the field last night. He was not. And lately. He was not. And there is the, you know, we've all kind of wondered when this point will come, when age will finally, you know, catch up to him like it does every other human being. Um so I just and wonder. There, there's
1: also the next part too, right? I mean, the, there's all these the speculation and, and pretty good reporting that he has a 375 million dollars television contract. Sure, for and,
2: and that the, the the value of that will play out. Like if he's a good, uh, you know, if he's a good announcer or analyst in the booth, that'll play out. I mean, you have you have to be good to sort of hold an audience yeah, totally. in that capacity. But the prospect of him going to the Raiders and the Raiders making a Super Bowl run, I just don't think that's I think it's unlikely that that happens, not that he goes to the Raiders, but that they totally. make a deep run. So the the value of kind of winning the Tom Brady lottery at this stage in the NFL isn't quite as high as it was for the Bucks four years ago. Totally, and I
1: think that the Denver Broncos showed what happens if you get a quarterback a little oh, bit past yeah.
2: his prime and you get locked up with paying that
1: guy forty something million dollars, like they did with Russell Wilson how bad it can go very quickly. The Business Angle with Justin Angle every other Tuesday here uh, on Nuon is now coming to you from the University of Montana Business School today. Fun one, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Love talking business and sports with Justin Angle. The Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Want to find out how Blackfoot can help improve your small business or want to see if they have fiber in your area, need help with a network, you just want high-speed internet, visit goblackfoot.com. Com. Blackfoot Communications, helping you connect to more. An update on all sorts of things. What's going on with Grizz Hockey? Well, first and foremost, we got tickets. Plus, what's going on in the wide world of soccer? Maybe we'll get to some more analysis about the beatdown in Missoula last night. All that and more next. Keep it right here. New one is now ESPN Missoula. is Nuanez now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. It's called Burning by the Whitest Boy Alive. <laughs> Fascinating band name. <laughs> Love it when you find some new music. Also hilarious that uh, not a lot of Ratatat fans out there. Not surprised by it. Thanks for all the engagement though uh, to our uh, Tagliary Tuesday, and uh, appreciate all the texts and calls and all that. is now ESPN Radio. SWX Montana Television and the ESPN MT app. I'm Coulter Nuñez coming to you from the ESPN MT uh, studio here at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. Missoula Broadcasting, locally owned and operated for more than 15 years and happy to say so. First and foremost, update on the scheduling. Grizz Hockey returns. They've been off for the uh, the winter break. So here's here's the, sc- the scoop here. They got makeup games against Williston State Wednesday and Thursday. Puck drops at 12.30 for each of those games. Friday night, a big one against the University of Providence. They're in town for a 8.30 puck drop from the Glacier Ice Rink. Saturday, Providence again, at 8 p.m. puck drop. And then the following Friday, that's Friday, February 3rd, the regular season finale against Montana State, 7.30 puck drop. The Grizz will be revealing their new alternate Grizz hockey jerseys. So that'll be fun as well. Uh, We're, to be completely transparent, because the Wilson State games were scheduled for months ago, We're not going to take the risk and give you tickets right now. I'm going to figure out what's going on down there at Katie O'Keefe's and maybe we'll give you some tickets uh, later on. But we will have tickets for you for Friday and Saturday and the Cat Grizz game the following Friday, February. I guess that's two Fridays from now, February 3rd. So we'll have a a bunch of tickets for you. We're going to have six total tickets to each of the last three non-makeup games. So stay tuned for that. We'll be hooking you up. One last announcement on the Grizz Hockey front. Grizz Hockey hosting their end-of-the-season banquet on Sunday, February 5th at the Doubletree Hotel from 4 to 8 p.m. All-season ticket holders and sponsors are invited to join the team. The cost of the banquet, $30 per person. includes dinner and a hosted bar. They're giving out team awards. Uh, You can socialize with players and coaches. And they also have a fundraising auction going on. If you want to RSVP to the end-of-the-season banquet Sunday, February 5th at the Doubletree, you can certainly do that by emailing the main man, Tucker Sargent, gm at Grizzhockey.com. Just email him, tell him you're coming, and to tell him the amount of people in your party. And uh, if you want to help celebrate the uh, Grizz hockey season, uh, there you go. Five games left in the second year. Of Grizz Hockey. Time now for a footy-fifteen. It's presented by Flanagan Motors. Almost always, this is an excerpt from the Soccer in Snow and Smoke podcast. Andrew did a whole bunch, Andrew Houghton, our producer, as well as the creator and uh, host of Soccer in Snow and Smoke, a podcast about the beautiful game. He did a whole bunch of, of fun conversations and great coverage from a sort of localized perspective on the World Cup and uh, so go check out those, a lot of those uh, episodes and conversations, particularly with Grizz soccer coach Chris Chitavisky, great analysis by him, uh, as well as some interesting and fun conversations about the business part of it with our good buddy Justin Angle. A lot of those pods are, are evergreen, so if you're a soccer fan, you can definitely go check those out and, and uh, listen and, and uh, learn a lot, have some fun, and uh, get all caught up on everything that went down in Cutter uh, forty fifteen, presented by Flanagan Motors. Flanagan Motors has been uh, locally owned and operated, and proudly supporting youth soccer around the city of Missoula for more than fifty years. Go check out Flanagan Motors there on Stevens. Uh, we will have mostly excerpts from that podcast, but today just sort of a uh arc, a, a wide ranging uh, recap of everything that was World Cup. Andrew, what's you? Got? First of all, what's uh, what's coming up on Soccer and Stones Do you have anything fun or interesting you want to? pump or let
3: the people know about nothing that i can announce right now colter but i am working on things trying to get some stuff in the works some new interview guests on uh but yeah without a nail down time for those i don't want to promise anything that i don't have in the bag but i'm working on getting some new and interesting guests i know i took a little break after the world cup but we were going hard on it i was putting out multiple of those a week uh, and we're in a little bit of a lull here in the soccer schedule as the leagues are just getting started, but stay tuned. We're still working on plenty of stuff for the podcast. Uh, before you know
1: it, soccer is going to be right around the corner uh, for uh, from a variety of different levels of soccer, and so we'll keep you apprised of what's going on, especially when it comes to youth soccer and club soccer around uh, the city of Missoula and the state of Montana. Uh, what do we think of sort of just the, the aftermath of the World Cup? It, it's... I think, for, to me, there's this, there's this narrative in sports that parity is the end-all, be-all for, for leagues and, and uh, various levels of competition. The more teams that are competitive, the more interesting it is, the more people are involved. I personally, from my sporting perspective, one of the things I love about sports the most is domination. Greatness. I want to see dynasties. When it gets to 10 in a row, like North Dakota State, or nine out of 10, I guess NDSU won, that gets a little tiresome to me, but it's so unbelievably difficult to repeat as champion in pretty much every sport that I often love when teams do have dynasties, even if they're only two, three, four year spans or, or whatever. Like I love what the Golden State Warriors have done in the NBA in recent years. What I'm getting at, though, is that, that it's almost certain there's going to be a new Super Bowl champion every single year. That's good. That's fine. Whatever. But, like, the, the pursuit of, of greatness after you've achieved the mountaintop, that's one of the most fascinating psychological elements of sport to me. Soccer is so interesting to me because so often the best teams don't win, this World Cup, though, was awesome from the way I view sports because you got to see who, in my, my my very rudimentary knowledge of international and World Cup soccer, I would have said that two of the four favorites in this tournament were probably France and Argentina, and those two played for the World Cup championship. They have two of the brand-name players in the world leading the way for their respective franchises, and then you have sort of this um, this romantic fitting story that Lionel Messi gets his World Cup title the last notch in the the last feather in the cap for one of the great soccer players in history uh, so what does this mean though moving forward I mean, what is sort
3: of the uh, the aftermath of the World Cup Andrew well I think Coulter as far as looking back at the World Cup so many people are still just uh, basking and enjoying it and how what an enjoyable event that was it was I amazing mean, not only France and Argentina meeting in the final, and I think you're right. I mean, I had them in a group of probably three favorites before the start of the World Cup. And and Lionel Messi putting sort of the capstone on his career there. But you had—it it wasn't all talk, right? You had Morocco yeah. making yeah, yeah. a great run through the knockout rounds. Yeah. You had Germany and Spain really struggling. Germany got knocked out of the group stage, so you did have a little bit of drama. The United States men's national team, that they made it out of the group stage. There was some drama in that run as well. So I think you had everything that everybody really could have wanted. And now, Colter, it's like, you know, you, you if you have a day off, maybe on a holiday, you go take your nap in the afternoon. You wake up and it's it's evening. You don't really know where you are. You're trying to get your bearings. You're feeling groggy. That's what I would compare the sort of post-World Cup period 2 because the leagues have, have started i mean they they started almost again right after the world cup ended because right. the schedule is so compressed this year with taking a month off a month plus off in the middle of the season for the world cup um they started up right away again but it's just tough to focus in on these games and these results and you know the january transfer market is happening when you're still thinking about that World Cup, but these games mean as much uh, as any games at any other point in the season. So it's, it's an important, really important month for a lot of these big teams in Europe.
1: I did something I have never done in my journalism career last night. New Orleans is now ESPN Radio. I w- went to a, a game that I did not cover until the end of the game. I left the Lady Grizz game last night. When it was sixty-seven to thirty-three in favor of Eastern Washington, I determined that my time would be better used to go uh cover the rest of the games happening in the Big Sky Conference. It's not as much that I was like walking out in protest of a poor performance by the Lady Grizz as much as it was a foregone conclusion. The Lady Grizz were not gonna I I I have the I have the uh the point of no return theory, and it very, very rarely ever happens in, in in college sports. But when one team has scored more points than the other team is going to score, no matter what happens in the rest of the ga- the duration of the game, I'm out. I, I got to go do something else. The fact of the matter is, the, the Grizz in Eastern Washington in men's hoops were in, engaged in a very close game, and so was Montana State, their men and Idaho. So I just decided, okay. We kind of know what's going on with Lady Grizz. I'm going to go and watch the end of the Eastern Washington and Idaho games. This is all to say, the reason I'm talking about this in our footy 15 is because I arrived at my girlfriend's house, and I was watching the games, and I uh, I decided, okay, I'm just going to wait till the, the Idaho game, which was the last one being played to complete, to get over, and then uh, I'll make myself a little late dinner. Okay. Well, the last... 25 seconds of the Montana State Idaho game took 11 real time minutes. And all I kept thinking was about how glorious it was to watch that World Cup final where there was just so much action and no stoppages. It was, I don't even know how long they played without a commercial break or a media timeout or a whistle or a stoppage. And I was thinking to myself, that's the one thing that I think both NBA and college needs to fix is end-of-game situations. And I was thinking that's maybe one of the best selling points to me, the flow of a great soccer game. I mean, that 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 match for the World Cup final was awesome. There was no impediments whatsoever. It was just free-flowing action for, I don't even know, half an hour, if not more, without without any break. It was awesome.
3: Yeah, Colter, that's always been one of my biggest selling points uh, to people looking to get into soccer as a spectator, experience Coulter, especially at the top level, it's unmatched because, you know, you know how long it's going to take. You got 90 minutes of play. You got your halftime. You got a couple minutes of stoppage time on each end. You know that from the time the ball is kicked off, you're going to be done watching this game in two hours. Yep. Yep. At the most. Totally. And you're going to, I mean, you're not going to have commercials in the middle of play. You don't, you know, when you flip the game on, you're going to be watching soccer as opposed to, I mean, basketball where the coaches are going back and yep. forth with timeouts at the end yep. of the game or in the NFL. You know, they score, you take a timeout, then you kick the extra point, you go back to a timeout, yep. you kick off, yep. 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 then you take another timeout, you go back to commercial. It's just so much better. And especially in a match like that because. Both of those teams were determined to play the game and be aggressive in that game, right? And and hold the ball and try to make something happen as opposed to stopping the other team from doing something, You're know, putting the ball out of play, trying to waste time, whatever. That's why, uh, I mean, it was one of the greatest games that I've ever watched. When I was in my newspaper days
1: covering a lot of high school sports, anytime there was a, a time where there was, let's say, like a mid-afternoon soccer match and then any other sporting event afterwards, I would always tell my editor, or in some cases when I was the editor, I'd say, hey, I'm going to cover both because (laughs) for exactly that reason. You can go hit the 1 p.m. soccer match. It is absolutely going to be done by 3, and you can go roll to the 4 o'clock basketball game. Also, soccer is so fun to write about because you can make so much – there's so much symbolism and stuff in there. But also, like, the tangible result of, like, the scoring is going to be so minimal compared to other sports. So you can just, you know, bust out your 750-word game feature, and, and there you are. So uh, it is one of the most appealing parts about soccer. Forty fifteen, a uh, conversation about soccer a couple times a month here on Nuana's Now. Mostly excerpts from Soccer in Snow and Smoke. Uh, but just kind of getting caught up in launching this uh, new year here. Go check out Soccer in Snow and Smoke. Some of those uh, World Cup episodes, courtesy of Andrew Houghton, are still evergreen. Uh, so go check those out. And uh, please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, if you are into or want to get into the beautiful game, go check it out. Soccer and Snow and Smoke, as well as Fifteen, a couple times a month here on Nuance Now, presented by Flanagan Motors. Flanagan Motors, proud to support soccer and proud to be a part of the Missoula community for more than five decades. What's going on the rest of the week? We'll get you all set up. Nuance Now, ESPN Radio, more right after this. I would reckon that of all the songs we play consistently here on ESPN Radio, that uh, that might be the most played, especially since we became Nuanes now uh, a little bit more than two years ago. Welcome back, ESPN Radio. I'm Coulter Nuanez. Thanks for hanging out here on a Tuesday. Coming up here in just a few uh, minutes, six thirty to be exact, pregame starts. We are the affiliate of the Seattle Kraken, and the Kraken are rolling right now. They recently became the first team in NHL history to sweep a seven-game road trip. That's truly uh, unbelievable. Like, seven-game road trips are just an anomaly in the scheduling no matter what. But for an NHL or an NBA team to win seven consecutive road games, it's unheard of. It's certainly an NHL record. I know that for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if it's an NBA record. As well, But the Kraken are rolling. They knocked off the Bruins uh, recently as well, and the Bruins are in the midst of a historically good year there in Boston. Their winning streak did get snapped by Tampa Bay recently, but still, the Kraken's second in their division behind the Las Vegas Knights, and uh, they're having a great year. So we are happy to be the affiliates of the Seattle Kraken. Stick around here on ESPN uh, for Seattle Kraken coverage. Pre-game starts at 6.30. Tomorrow, around the big sky in women's hoops for hour number one. Mac Anderson, Grizz Star of the Week, in hour number two, plus a very special ESPN roundtable Marcus Knight former Grizz running back he has news for us he will join us on the ESPN roundtable to tell us what's next the single season touchdown record score record holder excuse me for the grizz will be in studio for the ESPN roundtable we'll see it tomorrow at 4 p.m. on is now ESPN radio i am here with Catherine Delance of the advocates If you've been listening to ESPN Radio, you're familiar and you know if you've been in an accident, the advocates can surely help you. What sort of expertise do you guys have when it comes to uh, any sort of personal injury, accidents, things like that?